Welcome to episode seven. My name is Lara Blacklock and you're listening to the Heartpicker Podcast. I used to live in my thoughts. It was just constantly thinking, 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 thinking. Almost as if my mind was just trying to keep me away from seeing the thoughts and the memories that I didn't want to see. And all of a sudden the thoughts stopped. I noticed the feeling in my body and it was just this vibration of fear and terror. And it freaked me the hell out. So the last couple of weeks, I have been feeling really icky. And by icky, I mean just really, really down. I think I mentioned this in episode five, uh, my last English episode. And I didn't know why. I was just unmotivated and feeling discouraged and um, overall sad. And it went from being dismotivated and being anxious and just yeah like bored of my own life to feeling sad to genuinely feeling sad and it was a good couple weeks of feeling this of course I'm I tend to be a positive person and I tend to keep going even if I'm feeling this way it's a skill it's a skill to continue to function when you're feeling like this and um, I thank the podcast for that because this is a commitment that I have to myself and to all of you who are listening I cannot let a week go by without recording an episode even if I'm feeling yucky about it even if I'm hating my voice and I'm hating the episode I'm hating what what I have to say or I'm feeling down on myself I have to deliver and that's an amazing thing to learn I guess it's self-discipline, but it also has to do with passion. I'm genuinely passionate about this podcast, and I hope that seven episodes in, you guys are enjoying this. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just telling you how I feel for the sake of it. I, I've learned something. I have learned something, and that is that sometimes you just have to let yourself feel feel the negative emotions and it's this it's very uncomfortable you want to run away from them or you want to rationalize it and understand it so that you can do something to fix it that's my problem is i'm i'm i don't really run away or distract myself from what i'm feeling i try to go deeper in them and try to analyze it and understand it and and see what the cause is so that i can fix it now, I have been having some fun during my weekends the, these last couple of months. I've been drinking quite a bit. And you know what? I've given myself that because I wasn't going out at, at all, like barely, barely before the quarantine. And with all of this stuff going on and the fact that the quarantine has not opened here in Venezuela yet and there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to do. I've allowed myself the fun, <laughs> but um, I don't know about you guys, but I get pretty depressed when I'm hungover. I get sad. And I was thinking on Monday and Sunday, I was like, you know what? I'm going to detox. I'm not going to drink for the next weekend or the next couple weekends because it's obviously affecting me. But yesterday, aside from that, I also, I also just let myself feel. 
And I asked myself, I treated myself like a little kid. And I said, okay, Lara, what do you want to do? Like, don't think about what you should do. Think about what you want to do. And I thought, you know, it's been a while since I did collage. I want to collage. I want to see if I can make something from the sadness that I'm feeling. And, and that'll make me feel better if I can try to express what I'm feeling through collage. And I gave myself, wow, a good couple hours to do that. I put some music on and I let myself feel and really dive into the emotions as I was collaging. Now, let me say something. It wasn't magical. I was blocked creatively, creatively, ah, creativity wise, creatively. That's the word. I was blocked creatively. I felt like everything I was making sucked. I, I was having a very hard time finding a good composition that I liked. And I was hating the fact that I don't have the materials that I want. So, you know, I wasn't really enjoying the process. But I was letting myself feel and writing whatever came out too. And just wanting to express the sadness that I was feeling for no fucking I hate it. It's really annoying. And usually I fight it. I fight against it. And I try to push myself into not letting myself feel it or rationalizing it and saying, oh, yeah, it's just because you've been drinking too much. It's time to stop that. But hey, that it's not just that, you know, sometimes it's there for no fucking reason. And accepting that was the lesson. Funny enough, um, I didn't arrive to this conclusion yesterday as I was going through the process, I arrived to it today as I was talking to today's guest. And that is Ralph Ruiz. He's actually born in Dom Dominican Republic. He moved to New York when he was seven years old. And he had a really rough childhood, which caused for a disease called... Jesus, I need to find my notes again. It's a hard one to pronounce, guys. So I'm, I'm just looking it up here so I can read it to you guys. It's called ankylosing spondylitis. Ankylosing spondylitis. I'm not sure if I pronounced that well. <laughs> but it's basically an inflammatory disease that over time causes some of the small bones in your spine, spine to fuse. Now here's what happens. You go through a lot of pain, chronic pain. He's now a life coach who is helping people going through this disease and he has healed it healed it himself in his own life you know we didn't get into a lot of the healing but we did talk a lot about what were the causes of this and and his whole process going through this disease and what he learned from it in order to heal and then we talked a little bit about his practice as a life coach now I didn't know what to expect from this it was sort of like a blind podcast appointment for both of us. We were both meeting each other in this call. And I really, he told me the things I needed to hear. And that's where I had the epiphany on letting yourself feel. The whole cause for his disease was the fact that he repressed a lot of emotions from his childhood. And we can cause sickness in ourselves by not letting ourselves feel or by escaping those feelings and emotions um, in doing destructive things like addiction, drugs, alcohol, you name it. I wouldn't say that I'm escaping from my feelings through alcohol during the weekends. I'm just having a good time and enjoying my, trying to enjoy my 20s. <laughs> but 
I am someone who can get manic about solutions, finding solutions and, and um, bettering myself. And I can get obsessive. And sometimes you just got to let yourself feel, even if it's negative and uncomfortable. It's the only way they, those emotions just, you just ride the wave, you know, you just surf that wave and you fall and you drown a little and you get to swim out of it and then, and you're good and you're good and you're okay. I, I used to call it sudden sadness because it was a sadness that just came out of nowhere and I couldn't understand it. And that drove me nuts, not understanding why I got this like sudden sad sadness every month, every two months. And now through this conversation, I understand that it, it just is. It, it Emotions come and go. They don't necessarily have to have a reason. You know, we, we can't be happy 100% of the time. And accepting that will help you a lot more than trying to obsess over either numbing yourself from them or finding solutions. By the way, before I continue on to our conversation with Ralph, I feel a lot better today. I woke up feeling amazing. I woke up feeling, well, actually, no, I didn't wake up feeling amazing. I woke up feeling tired and sleepy, but I worked out and I just, I had breakfast and then I went straight on to my talk with Ralph and I noticed that I wasn't feeling sad. I wasn't feeling that sadness anymore, that icky feeling of not looking forward to anything. And I also learned about myself and that is that this whole wanting to understand where my sadness comes from is is a way of me controlling things. And it comes from a need to control. And when I don't know or I don't have the information that I need to fix something, then I'm out of, I don't have that control anymore. I lack that control. And that's a problem for me. Well, you'll get to hear me discover this through my conversation with Ralph and and hear what he has to say about this. I hope you guys enjoy this and I hope it's as healing for you as it was for me because it was definitely a very healing conversation. Very unexpected. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. And we can begin. Hi, Ralph. How are you? I am well, Lara. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How's it going? Fantastic, as usual. You live in New York, right? Yes, I do. Have you been on a podcast before? Yes, I have. I've, I've done a few podcasts. Um, I still haven't heard any of the ones that I did, but really, they're, they're out there. How, <laughs> yeah, I never... how come? Just because you're you're not that interested in listening to yourself? <laughs> no, it's just I already know what I have to say. So yeah, it's like... <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't listen to my podcasts. And I, it's not even me talking, so I can't even imagine if someone were to interview me. Well, this isn't like an interview. It's more like a conversation. Beautiful. Even better. I'll, I'll give you like a, a little brief. This is, this is such a blind kind of, <laughs> I think the blindest uh, podcast date I've had. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so I started this podcast basically because a couple years ago I was, you know, doing life the way I was told to do it and mm -hmm. then ended up being really unhappy, not knowing why and really depressed no and so i went to asia and had sort of like an eat pray love experience in the sense that i left my relationship behind i left university i left like my whole life a life that i had built mm -hmm. and then i i'm from venezuela or originally like i grew up here it's where i'm based 
now. Mm-hmm. And ever since that trip, I thought there was like a way that I wanted to tell that story, which I haven't really told on this podcast yet. It's more like a background story. But I decided that I wanted to share this kind of a conversation with others, um, you know, talk about other people that went through similar experiences. Because when I was going through this, I found it really hard to find resources and information where I could feel like someone was going through what I was going through. And I went through your website uh-huh. and I saw that, yeah, you basically became a coach because of this chronic pain disease called, and I have it here, I have it here in my notes, Ankylou, can you s- <laughs> pronounce it for me? I'm scared of saying it wrong. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, it's a tongue twister. Ankylosing spondylitis. I was going to say ankylosing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Thank well>. you. <laughs> um yeah. So how how old were you? Like let's let's describe like let's define this first. I looked it up, but could you define it for us? Well, the way that is defined in the West by uh western medicine is that it, it's a form of uh arthritis and it affects primarily the spine and the major joints, uh and it could also affect other organs in the body as well and but that, that, that's how it's defined in the West. And the way that I define it, it's, um, it's the result of repressed negative emotions and other things that are happening deep within the uh, person's spirit or psyche, however uh, you wish to see it. But um, I see it more as a, as a war with yourself in a way. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, that's really... Do, what kind of response do you get from people when you describe it like that? Um, probably the same response you're giving me because I, I only describe it to people who ask me to describe it. Mm. Um, it's not something that I, that I go around um, telling everyone about or putting it in conversation. It's pretty much non-existent in my life. And the only time that it comes up is with work when I'm coaching someone who has AS, uh, which is short for ankylosing spondylitis, and uh, they want to they wanna go into remission or they want relief for the, from the symptoms, and that's the only time it comes up. But other than that, it's non-existent in my life. I never talk about it. It never comes up. It's not like... Uh, about last summer, I was in the gym playing basketball, and there was another gentleman there talking about his terrible back pain. And at no point did I even mention that I had a similar experience or anything like that and just kept on about my life you know obviously if if he would have asked me you know do you know how I can help myself or relief then I would have told him but I have a a golden rule that I follow for myself which is I I only mention uh, those type of things when I'm asked about them so usually if someone was to ask me it would be something like this or maybe like a conversation someone who wants to who's interested in relieving their symptoms and I would tell them this is what it means to me and usually I get the same response just okay <laughs> you know like yeah that okay that's that yeah that's that's interesting I, I have a hard time not telling people about my own experiences or like life pains mm-hmm. how do you how do you how do you do it or, or why do you have that as a rule uh talking about my life's pain um yeah i find that um 
the best ana analogy that comes to mind at the moment is think of it as um, think of it as having a, a pot of hot water and you want to cool down the water the water and you add a little a little cold water to it and then you s steer it a little bit and the water feels like room temperature you know it feels almost like like it's in that center you know it, it comes to that that's that center temperature that you wanted to achieve so it's, it doesn't get cold and it doesn't stay hot it just comes to that neutral space where it's just in balance it's just in harmony and um, for me personally that's how I see life you know I see life as uh, in the past I used to see it as this really hot thing you know that was just burning and pain and suffering and then um, I had my experiences where I discovered the other side of life you know the, the pleasurable side uh, I opened my eyes to to seeing um, seeing life in a different way and eventually I am my spirit just came to that balanced uh, place where life is what it is you know it's it's that neutral centered space and um, you know so I don't just like I don't talk uh, you know go around telling everyone about my pains neither do I go around telling everyone's about my pleasures and my successes I'm pretty much in the present moment uh, and whatever comes up comes up and I can just like the gentleman on the basketball court where uh, he talked about his pain and I didn't mention anything about you know my past pains if he would have been talking about his you know super successful business adventure or whatever which he did, ironically, you know, there was a thing that he was working on and he mentioned that. And um, I didn't tell him anything about my successes either. It was just, all right, shoot that free throw, you know, and I'll be right over here by the three-point line and let's see if we could win this basketball game. It was pretty much that. <laughs> That's really good. That's really cool. I, I've always really enjoyed people who are like that and who, yeah, aren't don't have that need to either talk about yeah their successes and their wins or excessively talk well just talk about themselves excessively i guess mm -hmm. i guess that's so that's that's really cool where, where are you from ralph originally i was born in dominican republic uh, so i do speak spanish also and um i came to the states when i was uh, almost seven years old and i just been in new york my entire life since then interesting interesting mm -hmm. And um, so when, how old were you? Like, when did you find out you had AS? I started to have symptoms when I was 12 years old and they were on and off all throughout high school. And um, when I was 15, they got really bad. And I went to physical therapy because at the time the doctors were suspecting that it was AS, but they weren't sure. So I went to physical therapy. I had a swollen knee that was that was uh, treated and uh, pain in the in the hips and one of my my left foot was swollen also and um, it was just like an on and off thing and then it went away for maybe about two years so junior year senior year in high school and then around 19 uh, after I finished high school uh, the symptoms came back with a vengeance and they just stayed there and it was just on the whole time and it got worse and worse and worse and worse and then eventually around maybe 21, 22, the doctor 
officially diagnosed me and they said, okay, look, this is what you got, buddy. And um, these are your tre your treatment options and there's no cure. And that was it. So around 21 or 22 is when I got an official diagnosis after, after 10 years of having symptoms on and off and gradually having those moments where it would just get worse. Yeah, that must have been tough to like did you feel helpless when he said there's no cure you just have to deal with this i felt absolutely nothing when when he said that um i was so numb emotionally that i didn't even care and um i just sat there and my my wife who at the time we were uh boyfriend and girlfriend uh she started crying and she she felt so bad about it and i didn't feel anything i didn't feel nothing at all and the doctor said that if we don't do the medication then you know, by the age of 30, you know, you, you might end up in a wheelchair or something. What? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, at 29, I'll kill myself. That was that was my mentality. I, I was literally just thought, yeah, at 29, I'll just commit suicide and die. And what's the big deal? And that was the end. Of, that, that's how numb I was to life and my emotions and all the things that that I was experiencing inside. So what do you think got you to that place of being so numb and maybe even disconnected from yourself? Trauma. Like you, you'd almost given up, right? Just trauma. Just too much, too much trauma. Um, just my upbringing was extremely traumatic. Uh, it was a very rough childhood. And my ways of coping with it was to numb myself out and disassociate my mind from, from what I was experiencing. And... Um, when it got to that point in my life where I had the opportunity to end the cycle, do something about it, and put myself in a better position, it's almost like my like there's something in 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 all of us that um, shows you what you need to see when you're ready to see it. So eventually, I started to see the pain, and it was painful. It was very painful, and. I kept numbing myself to it, trying to avoid it, trying to look somewhere else. And that's what got me to that point. The pain was showing itself. So usually people think, okay, you know, if I can see my pain, then I have to do something about it. But in actuality, I personally believe that when you're not ready to heal your pain, you cannot see it. It is only when you start to see it that the healing begins. So the numbing in of itself, um, I wasn't ready to see it. And it was starting to show itself more and more and more and more. And my the best way I knew how to keep pushing it down was to create physical pain. And make a long story short, eventually I, I started to see the connection between the two. And what you didn't want to see was stuff that had happened during your childhood, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... I, do you think that's why is this something that happens in men more than women uh you mean this condition and maybe even the whole numbing thing i think that it can definitely be a male a masculine thing to deal with trauma in this manner uh, avoiding but that's a whole different discussion in terms of male and female i am wondering though i, I i'm just seeing that connection or i'm trying to see if there's a connection there with as being more common in men than in women, according uh, to what I read online. Yeah, they, they say that. I mean, I've seen plenty of uh, women 
in my practice. So um, I'm not sure how accurate the, the statistic is, but um, if, if there's something that I can point to and say, well, it might affect men more because of this, I would say that is uh, social conditioning and just society as a whole. Um, they, there's this uh, unspoken agreement that, that if you show emotions, you show uh, your pain, you show your wounds, and you express your vulnerable points, that you're somehow less masculine, you know. So, if there's if there's anything I would point to, it would be that uh, just the overall social idea that that men have to be tougher and don't talk about how you were hurt um, in your upbringing or in your past or even in the present, you know. Do you see that a lot in your practice? Men who are avoiding their emotions versus the women that you have, yeah, as clients. I, I, I find it to be almost almost the same, you know. So really? when I work with uh, female uh, patients or male patients, it's very similar. There's, there's not much much differences because um, AS um, and chronic pain, a lot of times it represents a hot emotion, you know, something in, in the East we'll look at it as heat, as repressed heat. And in the West they might see it as like repressed rage or repressed anger. But um, just like men and women alike, society just, uh, you know, as you see an angry woman, you know, it's, it's <laughs> unfortunately in some parts of the world is almost taboo. It's almost like, what is that, you know? And angry men are a little more acceptable, but over time it's only a, a, it's only a, it's only a matter of time before, even as a man or a woman, it's only a matter of time before all that heat uh, catches up to you. So I, I see it as the same. I don't really see much of a difference uh, between the uh, the genders in terms of, you know, what's happening with their, with, with the trauma and their health conditions. Are you comfortable talking about uh, what could have, what happened in your childhood? Oh, yeah. Did you get to that point? I'm, I'm very comfortable. It's um, part of my healing was looking at it, accepting it, um, does it trigger feelings? I can feel things when, when I talk about it, when I think about it. Um, I can feel things in my body. I'm very in touch with, with my emotions, but it no longer um, it no longer brings me down or no longer uh, puts me in a position where it used to in the past, you know? Because I, I like asking those questions and, and getting specific on you know, what happened or what were the issues or what caused the trauma? Because I think that others listening, it really helps sometimes when you're not listening to something that's general, like, mm -hmm. you know, because others could be going, others listening could have been going through something similar or the exact same thing or not some, you know, something that's not as huge and feel maybe even better. Like, oh, okay, my, my problems <laughs> maybe aren't that bad. And I, 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 yeah, that's why I like getting specific. I, I was just listening to a podcast before this one and it said, it said this, I'm, I'm going to read it to you as like a little inspiration before you start telling me, but it says, when you listen deeply to the experiences of others, you stand in front of your own mirror and you transcend that aloneness. Mm -hmm. it, isn't that great? Yeah, I agree. I so agree. Yeah. What could you tell us a little bit about your childhood and, and how that got you to that point um well initially 
uh, starting all the way from the beginning, uh, I was born in a neighborhood that was uh, very, it's very poor. You know, when I say extreme poverty, I mean extreme poverty. So the house that I was born into was made of wood and cardboard, and um, the floor was dirt. It, there was a patch of of the house that had some concrete, some cement, but the floor was mostly just dirt because uh, we didn't even have a floor in that house. Um, you see these TV commercials with the feed the children. It, it was a lot like that. And um, the neighborhood was very violent. Um, if you were a woman in the neighborhood, most of the time the career of choice was either working at a, at a factory, which they called La Zona, which translates to the zone, and um, or you were a prostitute. And if you were a man, a lot of the men there were were either uh, doing what is called motoconcho, which is like a taxi, but with on a motorcycle. Uh, you were doing motoconcho, or you were working in some uh, mechanic shop, or you were a drug dealer, or you were just a, a criminal, and you were robbing people in the street. So it was an extremely violent uh, place to be in. And um, not only that, you also had the police who... Unfortunately, they'll just grab any one of you guys and put something on you and lock you up. And there was nothing anyone can say because if you're from this neighborhood, you're pretty much just expected to be some form of uh, of troublemaker. So you have that, and then you start to look at how the environment is put all together. So you, ha I was living in this neighborhood with my mother. My father had migrated to the United States already and he was in the process of doing the paperwork so that I can come over here with him and so on. But during that time between the time that I was born to the age of uh, seven, when I moved to the U.S., I got to see a lot of stepfathers. Some of them were, mm -hmm. you know, were actually stepfathers and some of them were Johns. You know, they were just yeah. men who were there for a good time. So I got to see a lot of stepfathers, and some of those stepfathers were physically abusive uh, towards my mother. So I got to see a lot of domestic violence. Uh, one of them, um, I remember one one time in the morning, I was waking up from my sleep, and I found my stepfather um, literally with a knife to my mother's throat, and he was just, you know, uh, letting out his his hyper masculinity, at least in this neighborhood. Um, in that type of way. And um, so I got to see a lot of domestic violence. Um, I got to see a lot of people get killed. I've, by the age of five, I had already witnessed um, someone get into a machete fight with someone else and seeing people get chopped with a machete is, as you can imagine, is very traumatizing. Um, totally. So I got to see a lot of that. And then um, when I moved to the US, uh, I lived in the projects in Brooklyn, Marlboro Projects, and bullying. You know, you start school, you're the new kid on the block, and now you're being bullied, you know, and having these troubles in school. Then I would go home, and my the person who raised me was my dad's aunt, and uh, she's an amazing person, very beautiful lady. But this is a lady whose husband was shot and killed just a few years before I moved in with her, and everything that would come out of her mouth was... The world is dangerous, the world is dangerous, the world is dangerous. You have to be careful, don't go outside, you have to be inside. Uh, my father will come around once in a while and it was pretty much um, 
a lot of neglect on his part physically and emotionally and psychologically. And he would only pretty much say something when it was time to discipline me. You know, discipline means, you know, let me whoop your ass. And um, being whooped, um, physical abuse. So I've been whipped to the point where I had cuts and bruises on me. Um, <laughs> needless to say, I don't think any child should be beat to that point, no matter what the child did. You know, so you didn't do your homework. Let's beat you to the point where you're bleeding. You know, that that type of thing. Um, then you add sexual abuse um, on the part of neighbors and people in the area. Um, and you bas basically over time, all of these things start to pile up. So I can sit here and yeah. list all of these things, you know, and eventually it's a lot of stuff. But anyways, um, to fast forward, all of this seemed normal because it was just the world that I was born into. You know, it all just seemed normal. It's like, okay, the sexual abuse, that's normal. The beatings, that's normal. Uh, the angry stepfathers that were very abusive, that's normal. Coming to the United States and then having a stepmother who was uh, verbally and sexually abusive, also normal. All of this is just normal. This is just the way the world is. And then one day you reach, I reached my teen years and I started to realize that, wait a minute, Am I the only one who's had these experiences? And you have your friends in school, you have your your classmates, and they're all talking about how they're all virgins, and you're here like, <laughs> what do you mean? You guys never done the... <laughs> you, know? you guys have never been touched by your neighbor? <laughs> like, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, it's like... <laughs> it's like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like, what? You know, and you start to realize, wait a minute. This is not, this is not normal, and that's where the shame starts to kick in, yeah. you know. And in yeah. order to cope with that shame, you there's 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 mechanisms, there's psychological coping mechanisms that come into play. So, I became more of a perfectionist, uh, more of a goodist, uh, more of a people pleaser, and I did not realize that my striving towards becoming a very exemplary, perfect citizen and individual and being very Christian and very holy and very this and very that. Basically, I try to like clean myself so much to the point that I was perfect. And that's where the disease began, right? So all that coping with all the shame and all the fear and all the terror, that's how it manifested itself. And needless to say, the healing journey on, on its own, part of it was looking at the fear that, that I was hiding behind my people pleasing, you know, looking at the fear that I was hiding behind my excess drive to be even more spiritual and more holy and more sacred, uh, looking at the shame um, th that was pushing me to be more, more perfect and more clean and more, and the list goes on and on and on. So first part was just looking at it. And the second part was uh, learning how to heal that wound and understand what happened, recognize, acknowledge how I feel and felt about it, and then um, find my way back to the now, you know, the present moment, the moment where you realize that all of that is over. Sure, you can still have feelings about it, you can still have memories, you can still have thoughts, you can still have dreams, but nonetheless, all of it is over.
it's done. And you feel you feel those effects that all of that had on you. Are they completely gone now? You've healed through everything, or are there still things, crumbs that are that still live with you that you have to deal with? In the past, um, whatever was left over, if there was a scale of one to ten on how it affected me in terms of emotions and thoughts and feelings, it was like a twelve. It was like ten being the worst. It was like a twelve. It's like you have have these thoughts and you would freeze or I would freeze or, or have some anxiety or panic or whatever. And um, now, if I get a thought or a memory or think about something that happened before, it would be maybe like a one, you know, so some feelings about it, frustration, you know, annoyance, and then it would pass. And I'm talking like a once in a blue type of thing, talking like a once in a while, it would be like a thought or a memory. And then you have like a, I'll have like a really minor feeling about it. And then it would just pass and move on. Uh, But in the past, man, that thing would just knock me out for months it was just you know one thought would just linger and nightmares and night sweats and all of this stuff and you know so that's that's how I describe that now yeah and it's almost lucky that you went you could have gone a totally different path in how you were wanting to cope it's almost lucky that you decided that you were going to be good and you were going to be holy and you became a perfectionist Although that means a whole different pile of consequences, like repressing yourself and um, and shame. But you could have totally gone the path of addiction and mm-hmm. drugs and alcohol and, and avoiding it in a totally, I think, more destructive manner. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... I, like, like a lot of kids that have gone through what you've gone through, are, you know, have gone already. Yeah, they're, they're coping in different ways. And I strongly agree. I think that the, my strike of luck was um, getting sick, physically sick, as weird as that sounds, yeah. and um, coming to the um, to the understanding that whatever got me to this point is over. You know, that's I think that's all of it. You know, just realizing that it's over. Once you realize that it's over, man, you'll cry like a baby. I know I did. I cry. I thought I was never going to stop crying. Just crying and crying. It was almost like a whole year just crying and crying and crying. It just wouldn't stop. And um, then it came the anger, the rage, the frustration, and the desire to get vengeance, to get payback. So not only are we looking at other ways of coping that are destructive, but could have easily ended up being a criminal myself. Yeah, I could have easily mm-hmm. ended up murdering some of the guys that that were hurting my mother when during a time where I couldn't do anything about it. So to sit with my own destructive uh, anger, my own destructive rage, my own um, darkness and desire to want to go out and hurt someone. Because remember, the excess drive to be more spiritual and more holy, that was my way of pushing away my my true mm-hmm. desire to want to hurt someone you know so it, it right. could have went in so many directions and my luck was oh my god all of that is over and just cried and cried and cried and to to uh to share with the listeners what happens next what happens next is peace 
you know, peace just comes and greets you. You, you become more peaceful, truly peaceful, not because you're pretending, you know, but become more peaceful. Um, you become more satisfied with life. You feel safe again because you realize that 99.9% um, .9 of the fear that you carry is from the past. It's imaginary. It's no longer an actual thing, but nothing more than, than a thought. And um, your body heals, food tastes better. I'm easily amused as a result of my journey. You know, some people laugh at me because, you know, Ralph, you're so easily amused. I, yes, I am. I'm very easily amused, very easily impressed. Uh, like, just, just to make a long story short, you know, I have molds in my freezer to make myself round ice because there's something amusing about having ice cubes that are round. It's like, wow, this is so cool, you know, and it doesn't get old. You know, it's like, this is so cool, you know. That's hilarious. It's like just the simple joys of life yes. that maybe you didn't get to enjoy that when you were a kid. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and the, that's so cool. And that's what happens after the after you allow yourself to to go through the darkness, you know. So a lot of people are afraid of their healing journey because they see a little glimpse of the dark and they go, oh no, I'm not going in there, you know, I'm not going. And they're afraid, they're terrified. But I can tell you from my own experience, uh, going through my own journey and seeing other people in my life coaching practice and health coaching practice go through their journey with their therapist and sharing with me what they're experiencing and what they're seeing. And then seeing them come out at the end of it all with a completely different glow. You know, their skin is different. Their eyes are different. Everything's different. And they're just happy as hell for no reason. They're like, wow, if I never thought I could be happy for no reason. Ah, welcome to my world. You know, you want some round ice cubes? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Have you ever had a client that you couldn't help? Oh, yeah. There, there, there's a... There's a few of them, you know, there's... How do you feel about, how do you feel in those cases? Um, unfortunately, there are some people that um, have a hard time uh, letting go of the past and moving on. Yeah. And um, I find that the majority of the time, uh, part of the time is because the, 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 the memories, the thoughts and the feelings are just too painful, you know, and uh, that's why I highly recommend to work with a therapist someone that they can uh, address their trauma, a professional that they can address their trauma with. And um, the other part of the time where some people have a hard time healing is because they've learned how to gain positive things from their painful experience. So I'll give an example. Uh, in the past, when I would uh, talk about painful things like domestic violence and so on, people would show me this look, you know, they would have this look in their eyes, you know, like a sad puppy and, and that look. And in the past, I would interpret that as a form of love and affection and, okay, this person sees me, you know, and, and over time, they would, they, I would continue with the with the look, you know, I had this really bad experience and, and I was abused and it was abusive and destructive. And then the person would be nicer and they would do nice things and they would treat me nicer. And in a nutshell, 
you know, coming from myself, a person who has gone through this journey. In a nutshell, I was using my pain as a way of manipulating people and getting them to behave and do the things that I wanted them to do without even realizing it, you know. And during the healing journey, I recognized it, I acknowledged it, and I let that go. I don't need to manipulate anyone. You know, I don't need to use pain and suffering uh, as a way to to get people to love me and be nice to me and all that stuff. I can love myself. I can be nice to myself. I can uh, have the discipline to choose for myself uh, what I want to do today or tomorrow or next week and so on. So, yes, there are some people that have a hard time because... The emotions are just too painful and the memories are too painful. But then there are some people that have a hard time because there's too much, there's, there's, there are too many benefits to let go of. And um, I'm not one to judge and say, okay, that person does that or that person didn't heal because of that or that person didn't do it because of that. I don't know. You know, it's just, it comes down to the individual. If, um, if the individual is having a hard time, I don't know what it is. That's up for them to discover for themselves if it's because they're truly, deeply terrified of the dark or is it because they secretly um, enjoy the benefits of, oh, you had that really sad thing. Here, let me get you this, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. that's that's my take on that, you know. So everyone has their reasons, but... In my personal experience, that would be it. That's a good point for sure. Yeah, I can see how people could get used to that. And it's, and it's, there's like a comfort in that pain. There is. And like, there is. I'm depressed. So I'm going to go watch movies all day. And this is self love. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a lot tougher to do the work of picking yourself up. Yes. Or, or even that balance. Um, because right now I'm having a hard time giving myself some, uh, more of the self-care, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, I was just telling a friend, I'm going to start working out in the mornings because I want my evenings off so I can watch a freaking movie. I have not watched Netflix, you know, like uh, because I'm obsessed with doing being productive and not letting myself, um, when I'm sad or depressed, not letting myself like fall. And sometimes you it it then it it's like the other extreme mm-hmm. right we have those two extremes people who excuse themselves too much and don't push themselves and then people who push themselves too much and don't give themselves some time That's to right. just be sad do you ever get um like any times of just when you're feeling sad and low and down for no reason do i ever give myself what like do you ever have moments where you're just sad for no reason absolutely absolutely and um, I have moments where I feel sad for no reason. I have moments where I feel angry for no reason. I have moments where I feel sexually aroused and moments where I feel dismotivated. very dismotivated and angry and tired and frustrated. And all of these experiences are natural human experiences, all of them. So put it this way, um, the way that I see it, it isn't the... So you, you said, okay, I want to, um, I want to get, my, get myself to the gym and exercise, and I'm having a hard time with that. It's, it's, not, it's not the part that says, okay, I'm having a hard time with that. It's the part that says I shouldn't be having a hard time with that. Mm. You know, it's, it's, there's, an, there's an underlying 
statement that says, "If I'm sad, I shouldn't feel sad." Exactly. You know, and then there's an underlying statement underneath that one too, which says, "I shouldn't not want to be sad." So okay, I'm sad. Oh, I don't want to be sad. I shouldn't not want to be sad, and then it spirals down from there.、Mm. So the the way I see it is, I'm sad. I feel sad, and I don't want to be sad. Of course not. Who wants to be sad? And that's the end of it. So I acknowledge both parts: the part that is sad and the part that doesn't want to be sad, and just allow it to be. That's the hot water and the cold water, and then it comes right to center, where it's nice and perfect, and then it moves. The energy just moves, and you're not sad anymore, and you completely miss when it left. Because whenever emotions move, you don't realize it. They just leave. They just move, and it's like <laughs> it's you don't even remember that you were sad until someone asks you, or or you're sad again five months later, or three weeks later, or five minutes later. You go, oh wow, yeah, it was gone. That's a lot、uh-huh. of layers to peel. <laughs> No, just、yeah. to just、uh, there's a part of you that says I want to self care and I want to go to the gym, and then there's a part of you that's like I'm having a hard time with that. Just acknowledge both of them, yeah, and recognize that they're both perfectly natural human experiences.、Um, I shared with a client of mine a few months ago, and、um, we both found it hilarious. But everyone has their own sense of humor. But I tell them, you know, the other day I got on the floor to do a few push-ups, and I don't know, I just magically ended up eating a brownie in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's that's what it means to be human, you know. And we acknowledge both sides, and we do the best we can to to be a little more consistent with the exercise and a little more consistent with the push-ups. But at no point do I beat myself up and say I need to do those push-ups and not have the brownie. It's like God, I want that brownie. Oh, gotta do these push-ups first, you know.、Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll have a little bite later, you know. Hmm. So when you're feeling or experiencing nev- negative emotions for no particular reason, what do you do? You just let them be. You recognize them, or do you do something to pick yourself up? Like, what do you do? I feel them, so emotions are to be felt, not understood. In the past, when I was sick, I wanted to understand what I was feeling, and、um, that was part of part of the anxiety. That was part of the fear. And、um, now, whenever I feel something, I just feel it. It's it's a feeling. It's there, and I don't have to do anything about it. Just feel it. Um, are there things that you can do while the feeling is there? You know, to pass the time, because believe it or not, there's absolutely nothing you can do to make a feeling go away. And it sounds scary at first, but it's not. Whenever a feeling is there, the feeling will move on its own when it's done. It's just it's just going to move on its own. Now, what do you do while you have that feeling? That's just to pass the time. You know, so you can. You know, in the West they call it coping. You know, how do you cope with this?、Um, if I'm upset and I'm angry, a good way to pass the time is to go for a walk. You know, just walk around while the feeling is there. Maybe listen to angry music. You know, and be really upset about some social injustice and voice my opinion on the social injustice, even though I know that I'm upset and I don't know why I'm upset. You know, I'm upset because of that. You know, no, no, no. I'm just upset. But this is a social, a、uh, uh, socially healthy way 
of, ex of passing the time and expressing that frustration while it's there. Um, sadness, listen to sad music and maybe listen to some mantras and light a candle and meditate a little bit. Grieving is another one. It's very common. It's, it's a normal part of life too. We all grieve. We all have our moments where we look into the past and go, huh, God, I miss when I was 15 or I miss when I was 12 or I miss this and we get all sad and we grieve and we think about the unavoidable uh, end of our life and our human experience and we think about what happens after death and then we realize, oh, wow, you know, I was just grieving and while I'm grieving to pass the time, I'll just read another book about life after death or maybe listen to the Biggie album and, <laughs> and and think about, you know, life and its passing moments and then it moves. And when it moves, you completely forget. You don't think about death anymore. You don't think about the past anymore. You just come back to the present moment and it's like, wow, this round ice really is fantastic, you know? And that's, that's that. So when I feel something, I just feel it. And yes, there are things to do to pass the time. But the thing that we do, just to be clear, isn't the thing that makes the feeling go away. The feeling goes away on its own. The thing that we do is just to pass the time while the feeling is there. Unless you're doing drugs. And I don't see that as a healthy way of, of coping. And even then, even when you're doing drugs, um, whatever emotion you're dealing with, can many times be heightened by the drug that you're taking. So even then, it's not like, all right, let me take some of this and it'll help, help me feel better. Even then, you could have a really bad trip. So don't do drugs, you know, at least when you're in a vulnerable state and find another way to pass the time while the energy moves. So it's almost better to let yourself feel it, number one. Number two, don't mm -hmm. rationalize it. Like it doesn't have to, you, you don't have to understand why or what what is going on necessarily. I think those things probably come to you, maybe. Mm -hmm. Like yesterday, I, I've i had a couple weeks where I've been sad and dismotivated for no reason and just down on everything. And I suffer from trying to understand what's going on. What can I do about it? What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. Um, am mm -hmm. I drinking too much during the weekends? I'm going to stop. I'm going to, you know, I'm already like trying to plan ahead. I'm going to stop doing that. Or, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm overanalyzing it. And, and yesterday, what you're saying is really helping me understand what happened to me because yesterday I woke up and I was still feeling bad and off and still trying to rationalize it and thinking, oh, it's probably because I'm doing too much drinking during the weekends. I, I should stop. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, d I thought, well, what do I feel like doing? It was the morning. What do I feel like doing? I I'm going to read and I'm going to collage. I, I love collaging and I haven't collaged in a while and I'm just, I want to collage. And as I was collaging, I played my music and I allowed myself, I've been wanting to cry, but I couldn't, you know, when you want to cry, but you can't physically cry. Like there, you have no tears, but you feel like crying. Mm -hmm. But I played the music and I and I was literally <laughs> crying as I was collaging. And yes. I felt, yeah, I gave myself rather than doing what I was doing before, which was to uh, figure out what was going on. What, what am I doing that is causing this and how can I stop it? 
um, I just let myself feel it. It helped to tell my friends how I was feeling, but that wasn't helping entirely either. Like it helps to be listened to and they'll listen to you and blah, blah, blah. But what really helped for me was to just let myself like play sad music, collage and cry and like, yes. yeah. And after that, I had a, a betterish day. It kind of goes little by little, you know, it, it doesn't just, but today I woke up feeling great is what I'm yes. trying to say. Like, I don't have that sadness anymore. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to things again. And I was like, wow, what a, what, how crazy that, you know, just by giving myself that time yesterday without trying to, again, rationalize it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have to, like, if I'm invited for drinks on Saturday or Friday, I don't necessarily have to say no because I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have to wait and be present and see how I feel that day. Like, do I feel like drinking? Because I, I try, I think I overanalyze and put conclusions on things already. You know what I mean? Like, that's yes. it. I'm going to do a yes. detox. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then it's not that's right. just like eating brownies. That's it. I'm not going to eat any more brownies. <laughs> you got it. What, what happened like what made you you were really numb and you said you didn't care and you were just you given up on your life basically what changed what made you all of a sudden do all these changes and look at your stuff oh that's a good question um well here's what changed i started to have psychological if you're looking at it from the west right so i started to have some psychological things happening and if you look at it from the east um i started to have some spiritual things happening, right? Which ironically, um, the word psyche, as in psychology, actually means spirit, you know, in reference, in reference to, the, to the spirit. So psychology and spirituality are literally just two sides of the same coin. And um, what started to happen was I started to have outer body experiences, lucid dreams. Um, I would have these moments where I would like see something happening and I would go, whoa, you know, I've seen this before and I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. And one day in psychology class when I was in college, um, I saw the teacher walk in and she put the book down and I go, I went through, I went to myself, holy shit, she's going to say this. And I turned around to the girl behind me and I said to her, she's going to say this and this and this and that. And then exactly as I said it, the teacher said it and the teacher and the girl behind me goes, what the hell? <laughs> I, went, I went, oh my God, I'm going crazy. It was a very terrifying, scary time of in my life. You know, it's like, whoa, what the heck was going on? And um, there was a man uh, named Edward Gauss, uh, Edward P. Gauss, who's an acupuncturist uh, by profession and has um, Psych uh, has a degree in psychology. He's uh, he was a friend of mine, and I met him at a social uh, charitable event. And I shared with him what was happening. And we were sitting at a table having dinner, and I'm sharing with him what's happening. And he started to speak with me, and I had no idea that professionally his career was focused on healing physical and emotional pain through acupuncture, herbs, meditation, and stuff like that. And um, I'm just just throwing it all out there, you know, uh, just putting it in there. And 
he says to me, you know, why don't you come come by my my office and and I'll help you with that back pain. And I'm like, no, you can't help me with this back pain. It's it's incurable. The doctors told me. And he says, okay, well, the offer is on the table. Whenever you're ready, you know, just let me know. I say, yeah, sure, no problem. Then I met another acupuncturist, a woman, and um, we're, we went through our treatment. We did what we had to do. And then I said to her, you know, this pain thing is very confusing because it's almost like there's something else going on. And I'm just not sure what it is. And she looks at me and she says, trauma. And so what do you mean trauma? She says, yeah, trauma, like PTSD. And I'm like, I don't have that. And then she just looked at me like she had this look in her face. It was the most sad, concerning look I've ever gotten from anyone. And it freaked me the hell out. I put my shoes on, I put my shirt on, and I, okay, bye, <laughs> you know, with a big smile on my face. And I said, I'm never going back to this lady. I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Mm. Then I started to do a job uh, in real estate, and the manager of the real estate company, we're having a meeting, we're having a chat, and it was just her and I in, in the conference room, just us two. And she says to me, you know, Ralph, you have a beautiful smile. I love your teeth, but I've been in your shoes before. I've been through the things you've been through, and I know you may not like to admit it, but I know that there's a lot of pain behind that smile. Wow. And I said, what are you talking about? And she says, I can see it. You know, I can see it. You're always saying that you're okay, that you're fine, that nothing's wrong. But I, I've been there. About two days later, I went into a full-blown rage fit. And I basically quit. And I just cursed her out in front of everyone. And there was this big fight. Like, she wanted to punch me. Like, it was bad. And um, I left. And then there was a third person. And he was a chiropractor. And he says to me, Ralph, you know, you got, you're getting back into exercise. You're getting back into boxing. You're doing this. You're doing that. That's so cool. Let's do a collab. Let's work together. You know, you tell your, you know, people that you're working with about me to come get treatment. And, and, and I'll treat you for free. You know, I'll help you with your back pain. I'll, I'll do it for free. Not a problem. I say, you got it. Never went back again. Just left. And then I started to notice that pattern. I went, what the heck is going on? And now I'm studying psychology in college, and I'm looking at this, and I'm reading these books, and I'm becoming more aware, and I'm noticing that the outer body experiences and all the anxiety and all the fear and all the terror and all the night sweats. And I go, what? This is, what, is, what is happening? You know, this is all pointing at the same thing. And then one day I had that breakthrough moment, and it was terrifying. And I tell you what happened for a brief moment, I came out of my head and I know that sounds weird, but I literally came out of my head. So I used to live in my thoughts. It was just constantly thinking, 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 almost as if my mind was just trying to keep me away from seeing the thoughts and the memories that I didn't want to see. It's just always thinking and fantasizing about a better future and grandiose things and grandiose achievements. 
And all of a sudden, the thoughts stopped. They just stopped. And I noticed the sound coming in through the window. I noticed the temperature in the room. I noticed the room that I was in, which was my own bedroom. You would think like, yeah, it's your bedroom. You know, you should notice it, right? I noticed the feeling in my body. And it was just this vibration of fear and terror. And it freaked me the hell out. And I called that friend of mine that I, that I mentioned first. I called him. I told him, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's, it's the trauma. It's, oh, my God, it all makes sense now. And he's like, okay. And we had a light, nice long talk. And he says, come, you know, come to my office. And I went to his office and I started treatment right away. And um, that's when everything started to, you know, so he started to teach me. Uh, he recommended go study hypnosis. I think you'll like it. Uh, read this book, read that book. And he was just there with me every step of the way. You know, even till this day, I've been symptom free for, I don't know, like maybe a little more than six years, five years now, whatever it is. I don't keep track. And I still talk to him. We still chat, you know, obviously. It's not a professional thing anymore. Now we're just friends and we chat. We talk about the spiritual stuff. We talk about business. We talk about investing. We talk about relationships. We talk about everything. And it all, be, it all started because of that man, you know, and, and his ability to, to tell me the truth as he saw it and not be afraid of hurting my feelings. You know, he was very very straightforward with everything, including what I mentioned earlier about the secondary gains, you know, how some of us just benefit from our pain. He, even that, you know, we just put it out there. Ah, sounds to me like you like that, Ralph. What do you mean I like that? I'm, I'm suffering here. Are you really? <laughs> you son of a gun. You got me. <laughs> so that, that's pretty much what started all of that. And the uh, the nightmares went away, the, the night sweats went away, the anxiety went away. Sure, you get an occasional wave here and there. Um, all of the stuff just went away. The pain went away, the stiffness went away. And here we are today having this podcast. Wow. And, and your wife probably saw you go through that transition, hey? All of it. All of it. She saw the whole thing. Uh, and... Um, it's 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 a beautiful thing to to be married to someone who is there for me during my worst moments and saw me transition through it because I I'm a completely different person now. The person the, the person who I was when I was sick is very different than the person that I am today in so many ways. You know, I can watch a movie and cry. You know, it's like even watching cartoons. You know, not too long ago. I think it was like last summer I was watching Dragon Ball and this is scene where this cartoon character is going through something and I was bawling. Oh God, <laughs> get him Goku. Get him Goku. Oh, you know? Yeah, you're more in touch with your feelings now and and so you're, you're not much. afraid to express them, which is beautiful. Nope. It must be awesome not for your bit. wife to having to see that evolution in you. Yeah, she's she's so happy. She tells me all the time, you broke every single mold in your family. The emotional one, the healthy one, the the responsibility one, the financial one. Yeah. You know, and for and all for her it. to stick 
with you through it because it, mm-hmm. it probably wasn't easy for her to to Mm-mm. see you go through all those lows. Nope. And not to mention also the my tendency, you know, to the way that I used to deal with my anger and, yeah. and my my emotional pain. You know, a lot of times I would attack her for no reason, you know, yeah. just verbally, you know, oh, this and that and projecting all my shit onto her, you know, and that's something that that ended many years ago. And it's it's a very different relationship now. We can talk about our feelings. We can talk about our needs. We can talk about our problems. We can talk about our disagreements. Sure, we can get heated once in a while, but I'm no longer the type of person that attacks anyone directly just because I'm upset. Right. You know, I recognize I'm upset and this has nothing to do with that person. I feel upset. I'm frustrated. And that's my feeling. That's my responsibility. And it is my duty to deal with it with myself the way the the best way I can without trying to hurt anyone else you know of course yeah yeah that's spectacular do you think that you studied psychology in university right mm-hmm. do you think that we're missing that mind body connection because I, I I did a few courses but I didn't I didn't do like a degree in psychology are we missing the mind body connection stuff in, in our education of psychology well, I didn't finish my degree either, so we're we're in the same okay. in the same boat. But when it comes to the mind body connection, uh, there is plenty of uh, psychology based material out there uh, that talk about the mind body connection. Um, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk is has uh, a few books out and also uh, does this type of work. Gaber Matei is another person who talks about the mind body connection as well as personality. Okay. Uh, how personality is involved. Dana Nakazawa also talks about childhood trauma and how it manifests um, later on in adulthood, how it affects your health and your mind. Uh, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris is another person that she's like, she does a lot of research on the Adverse Childhood Experiences Project and how that can manifest into behavioral problems like drug abuse. Uh, sexual addiction, drug addiction, uh, depression and anxiety and and um, autoimmune diseases, uh, even cancer uh, and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So there's okay. a lot of stuff out there. Um, and then, of course, you have um, other psychologists who specialize solely on emotions and they don't really get into how emotions and the body work together. Then you have doctors who work in the rheumatology department and their thing is if you have back pain here's this pill or here's this biologic here's this injection and they're not trained and they don't really look at the mind at all mm-hmm. so i don't think there's a lack in terms of psychology and the mind body connection what i what i do think is more plausible is that the person the the patient themselves um, have to be willing to, to walk in the direction that they find suits them best. If, if the patient believes that the, the best route for them is to take a biologic and, you know, don't even bother with the mind, just take a biologic. And if that helps, great, by all means, that's what helps. I don't think anyone who is comfortable with biologics or comfortable with their pills and their, you know, formulas to help them resolve their their physical pain. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that they should stop doing what they're doing to look at the mind-body connection unless 
there's a reason, you know, if they're getting an adverse effect, then yeah, you might benefit from looking at the mind stuff. But if you're fine with your medicine and you're doing great, then keep doing that. You know, you don't have to look at this mind stuff. What I'm saying is that the patient has to do what's best for them. And we're not, we're not in a position to tell the patient that the mind body is, is what's best for you. You know, we're not in that position. It's, it's 100% the patient's decision. It's 100% their choice and what works for them. So in, in short, to answer the question, there is no lack from my perspective. It's, it's a matter of the patient having the ability to choose for themselves what is best for them. And from there, then anything is possible. And you, and you think that if we have something going on in the body, is there, are there points where it's just the body and the mind has nothing to do with it? It's possible. Yeah. You know, it's possible. If there's something going on with the body, um, could be a, a, an injury. You know, if you play a lot of tennis and you have tennis elbow, could be an injury. You know, if, if, you, um, if you eat certain things a little too much, that can also express itself physically. And, and psychologically, it could be just a lifestyle thing. You know, you wake up every morning, you do the same thing every day. You know, maybe you work on your hands and knees, putting down tiles and your construction job. And every time you get home, you get back spasms because, you know, your hips are tight or your legs are tight and they pull on your on your lower back when you're trying to sleep at night. So it's not always like, OK, wow, yeah, that's a mind thing. But um it's possible. It's very possible for it to just be a physical thing. And if that's the case, take 10, 15 minutes a night, stretch, you know, go through whatever you believe uh, is best for you. And if you don't get any results, if that's not helping you, then it might be time to dig a little deeper. Or if you're having chronic issues and you're hearing a podcast or something and you're like, wait a minute, I had that same thing. I had the same trauma, the same thing, the same this. <laughs> oh my God. Then yes, then maybe Light bulb. this could be for <laughs> you, you know, could be. Yeah. And it's, you know, maybe yeah. we'll see. So how do, how do we achieve the mind body connection? You mean like, what's the actual process? Yeah. For if someone, I can summarize it. Yeah, for someone who's listening to this. And I, I, I ask this question a lot because it comes up in almost every episode. And I, living in Venezuela, it's still, um, you know, we're, we're still, we're not there yet in terms of understanding what it is. So it still seems mystic. People see it as something mm-hmm. like very mystic and magical to say, that your con- your physical condition may have something to do with your emotions and what's going on in your mind. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I-, I guess for people listening to this who want to know more, um, yeah, how do how do we achieve that, or, or how do we dive into this? Well, to learn more about it, um, you can definitely read some of those books I mentioned um, by by those doctors. Uh, Dr. Bessovenda Kolk, uh, Gabriel Matei, and they have all the research and all the information they found nicely um, written in their books. So if you want to learn more about it, this, this, I highly recommend starting with those books. Now, in terms of achieving it, like the actual practical way, the actual doing it, 
um, be aware of the third voice that I mentioned earlier. So, oh my God, there's that feeling. Oh my God, I shouldn't feel that way. Oh my God, I shouldn't not want to feel that way. You know, be aware of the third one and just, just be aware when you're finding yourself trying to control um, things that you can't control, such as your emotions or certain um, things that are happening in your life, including the symptoms. You know, you can't control the symptoms. Some paradoxical, right? So it's like, so how do I heal if I can't control the symptoms? If you approach the mind-body healing journey trying to control the symptoms, you're going to fail. So don't even bother. So the point is, we observe the symptoms, we observe our emotions, we feel both the symptoms and the emotions, and we just stay present with, with what we're experiencing. Don't try to change it. Don't try to push it away and just allow yourself to be with yourself. And as you spend more time with yourself, you get to know yourself a little better. You get to learn uh, what, what sets you off, what inspires you, what, what triggers your anxiety, what gets you burned out to the point that you don't want to do anything and you're not motivated. You get to know yourself. And once you get to know yourself, a lot of those things would just disappear because you realize that that's not you. You know, you go from, oh, I got to get rid of this anxiety to, wait, I'm not my anxiety. It's just a feeling. It comes and goes. It's, it's, it just moves through me. So you stop fighting it. And once you stop fighting it, it's, you're no longer anxious about your anxiety. And then it just fades. And then something else comes up. And the same thing happens. It just fades. And then eventually you get to a point where the analogy that I like to give is uh, think, of water, think of emotions as water. And they need to move through a hose. Your, your tendency to want to change and, and fight the emotion, it's like choking the hose. You know, it's like you're, you're choking. You're trying to, trying to squeeze it out of the hose a little faster. Like, yeah, let me squeeze this hose so the water can get out faster or I can get rid of this water. And, and that's, that's, that's where the issue is most of the time. So instead, let's just open ourselves up. Be the hose and open yourself up to what's flowing through you. Allow the water to move through you. And before you know it, you go from being a garden hose to being those big hoses that, that they use to, to put out fires uh, in the fire department. And even then, you can expand even more. So it gets to a point where a gallon of water that needs to move through a choked garden hose can take forever to being so expansive and so open to having both beautiful experiences as well as not so beautiful experiences in your life. And who knows, you know, in the future, I'm sure there'll be more of both. But just being open to what you're experiencing here, to what you are perceiving in this present moment that we call life, just open yourself up to it. And then that gallon of water just moves through you and you barely even notice it. And then it just moves and you barely even notice it. And through all of that, as these emotions and this water just keeps moving through you, you spend more time with, you know, just you. Yeah. Just being centered in the present moment. What, what do you do on a daily basis to stay centered? I don't do to anything feel to stay centered. You, you don't, there, there's not, no? No, I don't do anything. It's just this, I'm 90% of the time, I'm just, I just feel like myself. You know, it's like, yeah, sure, we have those 10% where we have an uncomfortable emotion. It's like, oh, oh my God, you know. 
but um, there's nothing to do to stay center. Center is your natural is is your natural state of being. That's just who you are. We we were all born centered. That's just who we are. So to do something to be who you are um, is is counterintuitive and it it doesn't help. So if there is a doing, you know, to help yourself be more centered more often, the doing is in being more open to experiencing what you're experiencing, including the experience of not wanting to experience being more open. You know, it sounds confusing, right? So if there's a part of you that's like, no, I don't want to be more open to feeling anxious. I don't want to be more open to feeling sad. I don't want to be more open to just allowing myself to feel destroyed and 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 not, you know, motivated to do X, Y, and Z. I don't want to be open to that. Experience that. Experience what it's like to to feel that resistance. You know, allow yourself to have that experience of resisting. So whatever you're doing now, keep doing it. Just be aware that the doing is a form of resistance. And don't stop. Don't stop resisting. Keep resisting. Just be aware that you're resisting. And then over time, you'll stop. You'll just stop resisting. And then that would allow you to experience more of what whatever was behind that resistance. That's crazy for me because you're you're yeah you're really (laughs) you're really opening my or like shifting my whole mindset because I like I said I've been focusing a lot on having a healthier lifestyle so that I'm more grounded and so I focusing on routine right which is why I was asking you do you you know do you have any routines or do do you do anything and um I kind of freak out if I don't like sit and meditate do yoga and I, I think I'm overdoing it a bit where mm-hmm. I, I will start beating myself up for not doing it if I don't do something every day if I don't exercise every day if I don't do meditate every day and and I think I start you know I just start to get exhausted mm-hmm. and um just letting myself feel and see where that goes and I think Kyle was one of the people who I, t- I I told him once, you know, I'm feeling so anxious and I don't know why. And I think that's where I, that's what drives me nuts is not knowing why. It's because if I don't know why, I can't do anything about it. I can't fix it. And that, I think mm-hmm. it's probably a control thing. Like, it is. totally. And, yeah. and it, that's probably what I have to heal is letting go of that control. Just don't try to control exactly. it. Exactly. He, that's right? exactly what he said no. is just... Feel. No, I, I mean, I mean the the need to control. Oh, okay. Don't right. try to control the need to control. Yes. So if you if you have a need for control, uh, the worst thing you can do is is trying to force yourself to not mm. control. You know. So if you have a need for control, experience that. What's that like? What's it like to be in control? You know, and give the people around you the same luxury. You know, so if you're afraid of losing someone in your life and you want to control them in some in some way, give them the luxury of having control for themselves and deciding for themselves whether or not they want to be with you. And um, and I can give you so many examples, but whatever you're trying to control in your life, experience that. Uh, just observe it. Allow yourself to. Wow, look at that. So remember, right? Oh, there's that feeling. Oh, I shouldn't feel that way. And then there's the third voice. I shouldn't not want to feel that way. This is another example. Oh, I need control. I should let go of control. 
I sh I should want to let go of control and all that extra stuff. It's like, no, you know, yeah, I have a need for control and this is how it affects me. It keeps me tense and worried and fearful and anxious. And uh, what do I get at the end of it? You know, and you just observe it. And naturally your mind will go, you know, we got to talk because that need for control is a bit overrated, you know, and that's where the warm water and the cold water meet. And you find that balance, you find that harmony where you can focus and experience more of the things that you can control while at the same time experience the, the, the relief and, and the pleasure of letting someone else be in control. You know, you can enjoy that pleasure of not being in control for once and not having the responsibility of, of being the one who's in control. Yeah, it feels so good. Yeah, I used to have that too. And it feels so good to have someone else in control. It's like, no, no, no. You, buddy, you're the leader. You're the boss. I'll just sit back here and enjoy the bus ride. You know, it's like, I don't wow. want to be in control. I'm, I'm having a great time back here. I can look through the window. I can see the view. I can take photos. You got to focus on that steering wheel. And I don't want that. <laughs> Do you think that a person needs a certificate and accreditations in order to become a life coach? No. And uh, as of today, um, July 7th, 2020, there is no certif certificate or license to be a life coach. Um, you can start. Now, in order to be an effective life coach, um, I highly recommend uh, learning some psychology and having a deeper understanding of what motivates people, um, how, what are common ways of coping with certain things. And that way you know how to more effectively guide someone from point A to point B. Um, and it's not just for, for back pain. It could also be for if someone asked me, hey, how do I become a life coach? Which I also have a program for that as well. Um, Part of my job is helping understand, helping, part of my job is helping them understand a bit more about their personality, what motivates them, and that way they have um, a much cleaner, clearer path ahead of them. You know, so that's pretty much that. You don't, you don't need a certification, but to be effective, it's nice to, to have at least a basic understanding of, of human behavior. You yeah, know? for sure. Has it helped you as a person ever since you began the life coach journey? Like, has it helped you personally expand yourself more? Do you ever get clients that, you know, really affect you because of what they're going through? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, definitely. 100%. There's uh, even to this day, there are some people that they go through something and then I have to sit with myself and cry it out. You know, so it's not like, wow. yeah, let me sit here with you and, you know, help you with that. You know, a lot of times there's people who go through things and naturally because we're all human being, be, uh, human beings, you absorb some of that, some of that e emotional pain, you know, and vice versa. You know, sometimes it's something beautiful and amazing and you absorb that too. And you're like, wow, you know, I'm walking on sunshine. You know, this person, you know, look what happened. I'm so happy for them. You know, now I have to go outside and go for a run or something because I have all this energy in me, you know? So it goes, it goes both ways. And um, it also helps, well, for me personally, I think that the, the biggest 
thing that I've experienced as a result of life coaching is that I learned to respect at a much deeper level other people's point of views, their beliefs, and their experiences of life. So even as we talked about it earlier, you know, if someone's on medication, should they turn around and do the, the mind-body thing? Not at all. You know, I'm not, I'm not the type of person to get on an ad or on social media or something and say, you need to get off those pills, you know. It's like, hey, if you would like to get off those pills, this is an option that I offer, but it's not, you don't have to. If you're okay with what you're doing, you're okay with what you're doing. And that's part of my, um, part of my way of respecting other people's way of life, their beliefs, their morals, their values, and most importantly, the way they choose to suffer. You know, because as human beings, we all suffer. It's just a matter of how you suffer. You know, there is hot water in that pot, even though we mixed it with cold water, and now it's room temperature and we're in balance, we're in harmony. We all have our ways of suffering. So it's important to respect other people's choice of suffering. You know, some people suffer because everyone else is suffering, and that's just the way of suffering. And then other people suffer because they didn't get some achievement that they wanted to achieve. But either way, at the end of it all, it's 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 what it's what I call being human, you know, just allowing yourself to to have your experience as you have it, and that's the biggest thing I've gotten from from life coaching, just respecting other people's ways of of being who they are, and not not getting caught up in you need to change, you need to improve, you need to be better. What the hell do I know? What's better, you know? <laughs> Their definition of better is different than my definition of better, you know, so for all we know They're already doing the best that they believe they can do and it's only when they tell me. Hey, Ralph I want to do better now. I'm curious. What do you mean by better? Well better like, you know, I want to lose 10 pounds or gain 15 pounds Oh, that better and if I know how to do that, then I'm gonna tell you yeah I can help you with that if I know how to do it if I don't know how to do it, then I'm just gonna <laughs> say no, I'm not the guy for that, you know, but first you have to tell me what your definition of better is um, before I can explore that with you. Otherwise, you can say, yeah, I want to, I want better. Okay, I want better too, you know, but are we both talking about the same thing? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just love the amount of acceptance you have over like everything. <laughs> you know like yeah, because you've yeah. been through so much in life and it's easy for someone to to say they know best thank you so much i can feel the love from you i can feel the amount of love that you have definitely so um thank you thank you for for coming here and like blindly <laughs> talking to me hey that was fun no. a blind podcast <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much, Ralph. My pleasure. Likewise. Enjoy the rest of your day and you um, well. I'll see you around. All right. Bye-bye. All righty, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. Share it with whoever you think it could be of great help to. I'll see you next week for episode nine in Spanish. Hasta la vista.